Hello and welcome to Talking Transitions, the new special podcast series brought to you by Foresight Climate and Energy and EY. In this series, we are looking at the various transitions required to reach a sustainable economy and how, both from an environmental but also social perspective, it is affecting three key areas, the energy and resources industry, the financial services sector and government. I'm David Weston, Editor-in-Chief at Foresight, and guiding me through the series will be key EY thought leaders from three different areas. In today's episode, I'm joined by Gillian Lofts from EY's financial services team. Hi, Jill. Are you well? Hi, David. Yes, very well, thank you. It's lovely to be with you today. And you. Accelerating decarbonisation is urgent and existing climate action falls short of what is required. To help address this, the private sector institutions have a key role to play. Firms are facing a huge task of embedding decarbonisation into capital allocation and everyday decision making. Achieving the mindset required to manage these changes and prioritise long-term sustainability will require investment, leadership and cultural change. They will also have to overcome inconsistent government policies, shifting political priorities and an ever-changing economic reality. Joining us on the episode today is Masayuki Takanashi, Group Chief Sustainability Officer at the Sumitomo Mitsui Financial Group. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you. Um, Thank you for having me today. Uh, I'm very excited to join this. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Jill, maybe we could kick things off with you. Why do financial institutions need to embed decarbonisation into their decision making? How important is it? So I'm going to start off by saying that the uh, geopolitical and economic situation over the last couple of years has obviously had an impact on many financial services firms, uh, also on their sustainability strategy, their decarbonisation strategy um, and approach. But for very few, it's altered the long term goal of decarbonisation or halted their existing plans to decarbonise. I think it's important to get that piece out early on. Um, What we have seen, however, that some firms in the near term um, have had and will have a higher exposure to high emitting sectors um, than perhaps they would have imagined a few years ago. But at the same time, as we've seen, um, clean tech advancement and adoption is moving faster than we originally anticipated. So the firms that may be behind right now are definitely expecting to catch up and possibly exceed on their original plans. I just wanted to put that out there, first of all, David. Absolutely. So. It's two years since um, Glasgow when the GFAN's commitments were made by around 40-45% of the industry to go to net zero and to decarbonise. And in those two years, a lot of firms have completed a lot of detailed analysis on their book of business. And I think now is really the time to step up the action on actually decarbonising that book of business. So why, going back to your original question, why do we need to embed decarbonisation into the decision making? Because decarbonisation is complex, um, because it's long term, then we very much believe that it needs to be embedded across the organisation. It needs to be included into, into strategy, into risk management frameworks, into capital allocation, investment strategies. I could go on and on and on. In order to achieve this very difficult goal, we think it's really important to be um, embedded enterprise-wide. Absolutely. Uh, Massa, maybe I could bring you in here. In your daily business uh, at Sumitomo, how is decarbonisation being included in your decision-making processes? 
Yeah, um, if I could uh, step uh, a little bit back uh, before I answer that uh, question directly. Um, so first of all, um, obviously, like uh, other uh, financial institutions, we did commit to achieving net zero um, GHG emissions from our entire loan and investment portfolio by 2050, so net zero by 2050. Um, and therefore, uh, we actually formulated uh, what we call our transition plan um, accordingly. And so... For to control our portfolio, um, we set midterm reduction targets uh, for our, our GHG emissions. I mean, portfolio GHG emissions, and especially the high emitting emission sectors. Um, we developed uh, various phase out strategies uh, uh, for uh, uh, sectors such as coal fired power generation and thermal coal mining sectors. We also have various policies for specific sectors uh, and businesses as well. So in order to, again, to control our portfolio, um, we have implemented various control measures uh, to ensure or that our activities align with the policies that I just mentioned. <clears throat> so that's on a portfolio basis. And secondly, uh, for or some specific sectors, we have introduced frameworks to assess uh, you know, our clients' transition strategies <clears throat> And going ahead, what we um, our intention uh, is to enhance our let's say credit review processes um, using uh, these assessments that we are making. Uh, so that would also be embedded into our, our daily business uh, as well. Um, so that's maybe on the control side. Mm -hmm. On the other hand. Uh, we obviously promote businesses. We want to, um, you know, uh, promote decarbonization. So we provide a sustainable finance. Um, we have actually increased uh, our KPI uh, with regards to the amount of sustainable finance that we want to uh, provide uh, by 2030. The amount is, um, sorry, this is in Japanese yen, but 50 trillion Japanese yen um, is, is our target. We also uh, formulated uh, what we call our transition finance playbook. Um, so that's kind of a, uh, our definition of transition finance. And the reason we did formulate this uh, was, as I said, we would like to definitely promote uh, transition finance for us to be able to contribute to the decarbonization of, of the society. Hmm. So is there a cultural shift that's required uh, in the mindset of investors to include decarbonization in these decision-making processes? What have you done in order to help the people that are making these decisions, uh, both within the company, but also when those that are providing the finance to other companies to consider decarbonization? Yep. Um, so our main business actually is lending. Uh, so I like to refer to lending. But um, as uh, Jill said uh, earlier, um, we have been a very big uh, project finance lender um, in, in the past. Well, actually, we are still a big uh, project finance lender. And we have, uh, frankly, made profits uh, from, you know, the so-called maybe high emitting sectors. So, yes, um, definitely we do need a, a mindset shift. Um, therefore, we're actually making a lot of effort uh, so that our employees can understand and, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, actually take action on the direction that the, and the plans that we uh, formulated uh, towards that decarbonization. 
therefore, what we are doing is um, is mainly communication. Uh, firstly, uh, to uh, have a cultural shift, um, I do talk to our employees uh, through uh, what we call chief sustainability officer channels. This is a kind of um, online uh, 15-minute communication that I do on uh, kind of bi-monthly basis to um, our employees as much as possible. We do town hall meetings. We also have what we call sustainability ambassadors or, or carbon neutral ambassadors in our offices. Um, uh, so they can actually uh, be responsible uh, for uh, the office uh, that they are working in to promote uh, sustainability or carbon neutral in their office. Um, so those kind of things we are doing uh, to shift our culture uh, within our firm. Amazing. And are you finding that that's quite an attractive uh, element to have when hiring new people? Yes, definitely. I think it's very, very important uh, to have this kind of message uh, when do we uh, hire people. I think it's, mm. uh, especially for younger, uh, the younger generation, I think it's mm. becoming very, very important. Absolutely. Jill, how do we drive this leadership and cultural change uh, more broadly in favour of long-term sustainability? Yeah, great question. Thank you. And, I, you know, I really agree with what Takanashi said, San said around, um, you know, the education, the training of the people, um, you know, the, the, the way that this might be attractive uh, to either retaining people or hiring people. I think I'd add three things to that. Um, and first off, I'd say, and this is anecdotally, right, but I can say that what typically where we see a chief executive showing strong leadership in this space, we do see a greater commitment across the firm um, and a more driven and authentic approach. So I would definitely say tone from the top, from the CEO, from the board, from the non-executive directors, uh, feels critically important to this. Um, not only because it mobilizes the organization, but also because it can um, enable it to secure, let's say, the appropriate funding for strategic investments um, in data, in technology, um, or in talent, as Takanashi-san has uh, outlined. The other really critical element, and we've touched on this already, is I think the business level implementation. If you want people in your retail bank to behave differently, if you want your investors to behave differently, if you want your uh, relationship managers in corporate banking to behave differently, then, then I do believe uh, a business level implementation plan, a framework for that business that outlines the strategy, the goals, uh, the metrics um, and how to do it. Um, is really, really important. The, the way that you'll manage your retail bank during transition is going to be different to the way that you manage your investment management function, for example. Um, and then thirdly, of course, we would say this, but we do what we measure. So I think, um, you know, firms need a good decarbonisation framework, good KPIs, incentives and metrics and Takanashi-san already um, commented on this but even at the individual level so that you know if you're an employee within an organization 
you're clear in terms of the framework that you're operating in, you're clear in terms of the direction of travel that the business is going in, and then you are incentivized and measured in ways that align to that strategy. And I think they're really some of the critical points. What kind of metrics um, are we talking about here when when installing the, these new ideas within business, but also within decision-making uh, processes? What sort of metrics are going to be bringing the biggest gains when it comes to decarbonisation, especially? Typically, for a financial services firm, it, you, you are looking at the portfolio of their business. You're looking at the whole of their business. Um, right. And across that portfolio, um, and this is a very rudimentary way sure. to assess it, but you're going to have things that are very deep green and then every shade through to mm. very deep brown. Um, and what we would typically see is policies, frameworks, processes and procedures around mm. that whole spectrum. So you'd want to be, let's say, um, enhancing how much uh, green investment you have or um green uh, lending that you are doing and the people that are on the ground doing the lending um, or doing the investing you know typically you'd expect to see um, potentially a a level of their portfolio um, or it might be you know a whole part of their job which Mm. is focused around the level of green investment and then at the other end of the scale when you're looking at the deep brown things that may not transition then at some point in time would they be organizations that you no longer do business business with Mm. Um, in the middle you've got your whole transition and and of course for, for most financial services you're really looking at corporates that you expect to transition um, and, and there, it's very complex. Firms need to understand the transition pathways of their clients, the transition plans of their clients, and then start to measure, measure them against those. So, David, what I would say is um, hugely complex question that you've, answered, you've asked me, but it's almost around taking the portfolio of the business mm. and then narrowing that down to all of the components and how the individual would have a role to play uh, within the component of that portfolio. Absolutely. Interesting. Thank you very much, Joe. Moving on then from the from the cultural side of things to the uh, more macroeconomic side of things, what can the financial services industry do to engage with uh, governments and regulators to address the challenges posed by inconsistent climate policies? So I think this is not easy to be effective here. Um, I think it is probably challenging to uh, really help with progress, with with potentially maybe without seeming self-interested. So larger financial services organisations may have a policy unit um, or a research function that they have established, and those units would um, then typically engage across the value chain, governments, regulators, academia, scientists, corporates, etc., to um, address specific issues. Um, But of course, not all organisations have the resources to do this. So um, I think there's probably three other ways that financial services firms can do this. One is through engagement with financial services industry bodies um, to ensure that they are engaging with those industry bodies. And then the industry bodies are likewise ensuring a good dialogue across the value chain um, that I mentioned earlier. Um, They could engage with initiatives 
that are the most relevant. And there are so many initiatives out there that it, it, that is quite difficult to determine <laughs> which ones might be the most useful and the most effective. Clearly, FS have GFANS, sure. the Glasgow Financial Services Alliance for Net Zero, but there's also broader initiatives that are not financial services specific, such as the SBTI, Science-Based Targets Initiative. Um, right. And there, I think the organisation can engage, they provide feedback, they can provide case studies, they can provide the, you know, real on-the-ground information that some of those really relevant initiatives uh, might need in order to help create um, fit for purpose and manageable frameworks, guidelines, platforms. And then the third area I would say, um, and we hear this a lot from regulators, um, standard setters and supervisors, is to provide relevant feedback on the consultations that these bodies put out there. Because again, helping to create appropriate regulation, appropriate standards, things that are fit for purpose as opposed to uh, potentially have um, unintended consequences. Mm. Mm. Massa, is uh, is your company engaging with uh, both some of these initiatives, but also the, the Japanese government as well? Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, I think um, governments are actually looking for uh, various feedback, uh, not just on you know consultations, uh, but uh, direct feedback. We do uh, visit actually, uh, especially if it's in Japan, uh, we do visit uh, the Japanese government uh, to actually um, give them you know information about uh, what's actually going on in in the real real world or, or in business because. You know, uh, governments uh, unfortunately do not have the uh, you know first information, um, direct information uh, from the business. So, I think they are actually looking uh, for these kind of information. So, what about the emergence of initiatives like the Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero? How do you see these collaborative efforts among financial institutions really shaping the trajectory of net zero commitments? Yes. Um, one caveat, maybe, uh, but we do obviously need to be uh, very careful of antitrust rules. Uh, but um, but sure. that said, I think uh, these uh, initiatives like GFANS um, have kind of brought a first of all a sense of urgency within you know the financial sector, um, not just from you know uh, financial institutions that had this uh, beforehand, but also brought um, other financial institutions uh, together as well. And they have provided guidance um, on, for instance, formulating their uh, own uh, transition plan. Uh, they talk about guidance on transition finance. Um, so, yeah, giving us guidance is very helpful. Um, and therefore, consequently, I think we believe the finance sector has started to make a, a contribution to the decarbonization of the real economy. And I think um, we are very proud to be a part of that. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, Jill, how about you? What can GFANS do to really influence and accelerate the financial sector's role in the energy transition? I mean, I think um, initially the impact that GFANS had to galvanise this huge commitment from financial services felt very impressive. So the the, the what, um, I think that, that was brought together very, very quickly. Mm. And then I think over the last couple of years, there's been a lot of work on the how. Um, and as Takanashi-san said, you know, exper sharing experiences 
globally and you know to progress and to help each other on okay we, we've made actually a very challenging but serious commitment to how will we how can we actually go about doing this how can we learn from each other what's you know what are some of the tools techniques platforms etc that we can use so i think um so i think uh, initiatives global initiatives like gfans are super helpful they, they, they had a great impact and really useful for sharing best practice and helping to create um, the how of, of how to get this done. But I would the thing I would add is that because climate change also needs to take into consideration local country economies and um, local climate transition itself, then I think we do have to think about some of the other mechanisms that that I mentioned before in terms of you know local industry bodies, um, local um, engagement with, with governments, with policymakers, feedback, feeding back to your, you know, um, local regulator or your local government on what makes sense, what's helpful, what works well and those kind of things. Can you point to any specific examples, uh, and this Jill or, or Massa, uh, that have come out of uh, GFANS or any other sort of global initiatives that really helped um make a difference in, in decarbonizing uh, the financial services sector and their decision making. Is there any, any specific tools that you can point to? Well, I actually, I, I might be repeating myself, that, but, um, you know, the various, the, the guidance that uh, GFANS have been providing um, in terms of various plans um, and, um, mm. uh, uh, you know, for instance, uh, you know, the, uh, Various definitions of finance and these kind of things are, have been very very helpful. It um, right, you know, because unless we do have those kind of things, um, you know, all financial institutions are going their own way. Um, but I think um, we need to be, uh, you know, aligned um, in order for us to be uh, achieving the same goal. Um, so yeah, I, I think those are um, actually very, very real examples of how GFANS have kind of helped us uh, through our- So defining what is a what is a green investment and those sort of things? Yeah, yeah those kind of things as well. Um, and right. I, I think, um, as I said, we did create our uh, transition plan and um, these kind of uh, plans, it's not, mm. we haven't made them from scratch. Um, there have no. been, you know, guidance from not just GFANS, obviously, uh, but sure. the various initiatives, including, for instance, TCFD and things like yeah, that. Yeah, and I was going to add on a sort of on a sort of a, a now going forward basis. I think um, transition mm. finance framework, transition plan framework, is something that uh, is 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 super useful for firms to. Uh, share um, and, and build mm. common agreement and common understanding over because that's a, a highly complex area. And then the other one is data um, and, you know, thinking about the, you know, an industry type of data platform or a utility type of data platform, because ultimately, you know, capturing GHG emissions mm. is something that uh, in, in a relatively accurate fashion is something that um, serves the interest of all organizations, whether it be financial services in their portfolio or corporates and their supply chain. So um, I think there's some of those initiatives that are currently underway with GFANS that will be also very additive on a go forward basis. 
So what are the kind of solutions you're seeing within the financial services sector then that can that are working to decarbonize both their activities and their clients? Um, what tools and solutions are out there for, for this sort of work? Thank you, David. So I, so I think for, for the own footprint, then um, that is a relatively small part of the overall mm. emissions of a financial services firm. I mean, we're estimating less than 10% for most organisations. Um, and the own footprint typically includes buildings, IT, estate, energy, travel and expenses. Um, and we see that many financial services firms have made and are making progress on uh you know, strategies to decarbonize across across those metrics. So the big area of focus and the big area of complexity is the um, GHG footprint and the transition of their book of business, of their portfolio. Um, and as we were saying earlier, looking at incorporating, and, 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 and I think this is what we've seen over the last two years, firms looking at incorporating climate characteristics into their policies, their frameworks, their processes, and their procedures at the business level, so that you understand the, book, the, the business that you are writing today, or the business that you are investing in today, and how that ultimately is going to contribute to the overall decarbonisation of the portfolio. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, and, and Takanashi-san also mentioned, this really goes down to um, many levels within the organisation, um, the investment risk assessments, the credit ratings, um, so that you're really there at the coalface, excuse the pun, in terms of determining, okay, what businesses are we investing in? Is this helping us achieve our goal? What businesses are we insuring or lending to? And is this helping to achieve our goal? But I think it's very much at that um, detailed level that we see the implementation of the overall uh, decarbonisation strategy. We definitely need to come up with a new saying uh, than working at the coal face. <laughs> yeah. It's something I use all the time <laughs> and it's just not appropriate anymore. Um, Masa, what about uh, within Sumitomo? Uh, what kind of solutions and products are you providing that can help your clients decarbonize? So obviously we, we provide various solutions, um, including financing, various finance solutions, obviously on the debt side and equity side as well. We provide advisory consulting services, leasing services, um, and we also provide, um, for instance, visualization tools. So, you know, some clients... Um, you know, it depends on their journey, but some clients are just starting and they, they don't actually, uh, you know, uh, know how much they actually emit. So we provide a visualization tools that, that can, you know, uh, assist uh, our clients on that as well. But I think one also very important, um, you know, uh, well, solution uh, that we do, well, maybe service that we do provide is kind of matching or um, introductory uh, services. So I think one strength that uh, financial institutions do have is the broad client base uh, uh, that they have. Um, so as a financial institution, um, we don't have the kind of direct solution that our clients uh, can use, but we have you know, clients that have those solutions. So on, on one hand, we do have clients that have issues, that have challenges uh, to decarbonize their business. Uh, on the other hand, we do have a, a vast 
uh, uh, range of clients that actually can provide uh, those solutions. So I think uh, financial institutions can contribute to actually match those, uh, you know, those two, um, you know, clients. And, and that's exactly uh, what we are, uh, are doing uh, right now. And are you considering things like uh, environmental, social and government um, criteria in that and just transition in this work? Sure, definitely. So um, obviously, especially for instance, just transition, I, I think I talked about um, we have a definition of our uh, transition finance. Um, and in, in that transition finance playbook, we explicitly say um, that, um, you know, just transition is definitely important. Um, it's one of our uh, four principles, um, it, as well as, you know, do no significant harm, no carbon lock-in, and, and best available technology. So it's definitely one of our important uh, principles. Yeah. Jill, ESG and just transition are just as important as decarbonization in this transition. How are financial services setting targets and operationalizing it when it comes to the energy transition and the just transition? Yeah, so I think um, already uh, climate change and net zero is complex, Right. So um, a lot of effort has been put into um, understanding greenhouse gas emissions, um, decarbonisation and transition plan um, for the portfolio. Um, But clearly, as Takanashi Zan said, um, and as we know, broader environmental um, aspects, uh, social aspects uh, are also extremely relevant you know, you, you can't get to net zero without being uh, nature positive, and clearly, you don't want to have an adverse effect on local communities and, let's say, you know, vulnerable populations. So, what we are seeing now is that firms are starting to incorporate um, broader environmental characteristics into their decarbonisation framework, into their risk management frameworks. And that is super complicated for a couple of reasons. One, um, with climate, you're essentially measuring temperature warming. Um, With biodiversity and nature, there there are many, many characteristics to measure. So what we have seen is firms focus on um, some particular topics that perhaps are most relevant to their book of business. Um, Things like water management, things like forestation management um, and also land use change. So firms looking at um, how that plays out in their book of business and what are some of the things that they would need to do in order to, um, say, encourage forestation, um, encourage good water management practices um, and also encourage um, acceptable land use change. So that's one one whole area. One of the issues here is those impacts tend to be very, very local um, in a similar way that um, just transition impact, you know, the social impact, the impact on the local environment and the local peoples, uh, the the very local uh, impact. And therefore, really, you need to be able to collect the information and data to understand what that local local impact is. So I think whilst firms are looking to incorporate um, 
broader environmental characteristics in their work and also very much consider a just transition. On the other hand, the obtaining the data that they need to do that is quite complex um, and I think is something that's going to evolve over time. As you say, it's a very complex um, situation and a complex problem to solve. Getting all of the data in and making sure you understand it and um, adding to it, you know, it's not just a financial transaction anymore. It's a, a much broader um, agreement now. Is that going to make the transition finance more expensive and therefore possibly um delay or uh, slow down the energy transition as a whole? The, the reality of decarbonizing and supporting um, transition to net zero, you also have to manage your business mm. <laughs> whilst yeah, you're course. going through that transition. So what we definitely see is the strategic approach that firms take incorporates mm financial modelling, P&L modelling, balance sheet uh, modelling, in order to ensure that they they can, um, as, as we would say, go green without going red, if you will. Um, there is increasing amounts of public sector funding and donor funding for transition um, and one of the areas that we are starting to see financial services really focus on is what we call blended finance, which is you know, the equivalent of the public-private sector mm. initiatives. Um, and I think that is actually one to watch because, it, it, in effect, the blended finance approach, I think, opens up whole new channels of, of clients, of products, of services, of sectors that mm. perhaps might not have been com commercially viable historically. Right. Um, and I would see that and I would hope that that would help to mobilise a, a lot more uh, finance to the parts of the transition that really need it. Mm. Master, is that something you're seeing? Uh, an, an increase in the cost of the finance because of these sort of green, um, the additional uh, decarbonization pr uh, priorities and initiatives that are, that are having to be introduced? Yeah. Um, so as Jill said, I think blended finance, I, I think we're still not there. I think um, we, you know, uh, blended finance to be more popular, I think uh, it'll take a, a lot more efforts uh, from, you know, both public and private side. Uh, but um, if public uh, blended finance is used more or often, I think, you know, it will make money flow to areas that, um, uh, you know, haven't been flown, uh, flowing in the past. And there are uh, many areas uh, where, obviously, as, as a private uh, financial institution, you know, um, there are areas that uh, it is, is difficult for us to take risks. Um, and um, it's very important to actually have, uh, you know, uh, solutions uh, for or for that situation and blended finances that uh, I, I do believe is going to be one uh, one of those solutions uh, one of solutions uh, that can you know kind of break uh, that situation. Absolutely, we'll do a whole episode on blended finance a bit later in this series. Um, Jill, what kind of uh, iterative framework is necessary, therefore, uh, for delivering an effective transition uh, support at scale? 
Yes. Yeah, so uh, annoyingly, I think this will this will be iterative, right? Um, and, and I'm kind of going to bring out two reasons for that. Um, on the one side, it's around understanding the corporates or investments that, that you've made and that you do business with, understanding their transition plan, um, uh, measuring their transition plan, working out how to help them with their transition plans. Obviously, a really increased and very different level of engagement with um, corporates than we would have seen historically. Um, and that engagement is very much two-way and very much focused on, you know, let's get through this transition. Do we need to provide different products and services to you to help you through that journey? Can we help you with education? Can you can we help you with, with knowledge, with expertise, as well as helping you with finance? Um, so, so that's one big area that um, is different to what it was before and I think will continue to involve is is how FS engages with um, the corporates that they work with. And then the other side, um, we mentioned this before, but data is still emergent. And a lot of firms, you know, have to use a lot of proxies, a lot of estimations for your GHG emissions calculation, for your transition pathway calculation. And, um, you know, that will evolve over time. And I think financial services firms need frameworks, um, a culture and a strategy that can be adaptive, not only as the um, data matures, but also to the fact that, as we said before, we know transition won't be linear. So <laughs> kind of that's another reason that you've got to be adaptive and iterative. So I think it's I think and I, I do feel firms are looking at, at this in a iterative and adaptive fashion. Um, but, you know, I think and I think that has been the experience, but very much see um, that that will be true on a go forward basis as well. One final uh, point I want to touch upon before we uh, close today is the role of uh, small and medium enterprises uh, and their decarbonization. A lot of these companies don't have the resources, they don't have the manpower um, to overcome some of these barriers to decarbonization. Massa, what is the role of financial institutions in helping SMEs overcome some of these barriers, uh, including gaining access to transition finance and getting a clarity on their decarbonization plans? Yes, I think this is an area that uh, is, you know, uh, very difficult. Uh, but uh, we do have various uh, services uh, to provide to SMEs. Um, so when you think about transition, um, first of all, what you need to do is you need to understand where you are. Um, and as you say, a um, lot of SMEs is, are having difficulty actually understand where they are. But after that, you need to formulate plans and strategies and then execute uh, these plans. Um, so we do have various solutions that uh, we provide in, in those stages. And so first of all, um, to, for SMEs to first of all understand where they are in terms of their decarbonization strategy, they need to be calculated, they need to be um, you know, assessing uh, their actual GHG emissions. <clears throat> Um, and as I actually did refer to earlier, we do provide kind of online tools, uh, digital tools uh, that uh, 
for SMEs uh, can uh, for SMEs so that they can calculate uh, their GHG emissions. Um, and then once done, once they understand how much they are actually emitting, then they can you know start thinking about plans and strategies. And obviously, we do provide uh, advisory uh, consulting. Uh, solutions uh, to SMEs as well. Um, And then executing these plans. Um, Actually, the digital tool that I referred to actually pops up various uh, solutions that our clients uh, can use um, automatically uh, through the tool. Um, And that is a, um, and our clients, SME clients, can use that uh, a kind of option uh, to think about um, their plans and actually implement that. <clears throat> and when implementing that, again, I do, uh, as I referred to earlier, we have a client base uh, that actually have those solutions. And, and therefore, we match those clients. Um, and I, I think that's working. Uh, for for SMEs to decarbonize uh, uh, their business. And so what kind of uh, other financial instruments and strategies are there uh, in providing capital to SMEs to support decarbonization efforts? So as I said, well, in terms of um, a, a capital hmm. um, and other solutions, obviously, we, we do, again, we, we, do, we do provide lending, uh, various lending solutions. We do provide, um, uh, recently now we have, uh, started providing uh, carbon credits um, as well. Um, there are uh, a, a lot of discussion about uh, carbon credits, uh, but I do think that's one area uh, that um, you know clients are also looking into. So that's another solution. Yeah. So those kind of solutions are the ones that we are using for SMEs. Just finally, then before we go, what is the most important takeaway? Uh, or message that you'd like our listeners to remember regarding the financial service sector's role in the energy transition, um, specifically maybe around COP as well, uh, and the discussions that we were having in Dubai uh, later on. Jill? I'm kind of going to make this really simple. Um, Because the transition to net zero is complex and expensive, there are estimates out there, and several of them, that suggest that public sector finances can be leveraged up to 10 times through the private sector, through financial services. And for me, that really does highlight the, the importance of the role that financial services can and will play in mm. transition to net zero. Brilliant. Very simple as well. Uh, and Massa, how about you? What's the important takeaway message? Again, I do think that the financial institutions are in a unique position. We do have a huge client base that we can reach out. Um, and I think financial institutions um, can play an important role um, in terms of this de- decarbonization of the society. Uh, again, we provide a variety of solutions, including loans, underwriting, uh, leasing, advisory services. But that said, I don't think that the financial institutions institutions can do that on their own. So partnering with various stakeholders from industry, academia, uh, government, private sectors, I think this is also very, very important. So we are promoting initiatives towards the uh, the realization of a decarbonization decarbonized society. 
but that we also would like to continue uh, to partnering with various uh, constitutions and seas of the society. Absolutely. Uh, thank you very much. That's all we have time for on this episode of Talking Transitions. My thanks go to Masayuki and Jill for joining us today. Please do rate, review and share the podcast uh, wherever you're listening to keep this conversation going. And we look forward to talking to you next time. Mm-hmm.